exercise that went like this. You'd put your hands together and you would say, here's the church, this is the steeple. Open the doors and where are the people? So the instructor would say, they must still be asleep. Let's wake them up. So we would go shake, 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 put our hands together like this and go, here's the church, this is the steeple, open up the doors and here are all God's people. You may know that ex exercise or a similar version from your own childhood. Some of you may have never seen that at all, and hopefully that was a little entertaining. At the time, I did not realize, of course, but that exercise displays the significance of the church being more than just a building. Church is a community of believers. We are the church, the body of Christ, a spiritual house built of living stones, and Jesus is the cornerstone. So let's dive a little bit further into what that means in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 5 say, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In those verses four through five, Peter describes how God is always building a community of believers through Jesus to bring him glory. You'll notice in those two verses that Peter says we are rejected by men, but he also uses the words chosen and precious in the sight of God. Peter reminds us that we are the living stones actively being built up as a spiritual house. This action of collecting and building stones is an ongoing process that requires multiple people. It does not happen overnight, nor does it flourish in isolation. We are encouraged to continue building with one another, just as we build our own sense of a home and growth within our individual families, our spiritual house grows the more we draw near to God through our prayers, worship songs, praise, proclaiming truth, and so on. God is always present with us and his presence is even greater when we are united in Christ. In the following verses six through 10, Peter refers to the Old Testament several times. It may help if I break these references down in order of what we would call salvation history rather than the order that Peter writes them in. So let's start with verses nine and 10 and work our way back up to verse six. In verses 9 and 10, Peter reminds us of God's desire to form a covenant people who will uniquely belong to him. This refers to the book of Exodus, which takes place during the historical events on Mount Sinai. The nation of Israel goes to Mount Sinai, and God speaks directly to the Israelites. In Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was to be different from the other nations because other nations were under Satan's authority. God is telling his people that they are to set a holy standard of living and become a light to the world. They were to teach the nations about the kingdom of God and bring lost souls into the camp of Israel through faith in God. The conditions of his covenant, though, are if you will indeed obey my voice 
and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So back to 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 10, we see a reference to the book of Hosea. If you are not familiar with the story of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet whom God used to deliver a message of repentance to God's people. The nation of Israel sinned constantly and turned away from God several times. Peter's reference to Hosea 2 verse 23 reminds us that despite Israel's repeated offenses, God's mercy and love will overcome human sinfulness and unfaithfulness. Peter uses that reference to remind believers that we were once without mercy, but we have since received God's mercy. God's plan for a new people and a new covenant would still be fulfilled. Which now brings us to the references that Peter uses in verses 6 through 8. Peter quotes from Isaiah and the Psalms. Peter uses God's mention of a cornerstone that is chosen and precious from Isaiah 28 verse 16. Whoever believes in this cornerstone will not be disturbed or put to shame. This brings Jesus into the bigger picture of God's plan for our salvation. The next reference to Psalm 118 verse 22 mentions the cornerstone being deemed unsuitable and thus rejected by the builders of a new temple. This relates to when Israel rejected Jesus and crucified him. God raised Jesus from the dead and made him the chief cornerstone of his new people. Those who believe and put their trust in Jesus are precious, chosen, and invaluable to God. You may be wondering why the word cornerstone is so significant in this context. The cornerstone of a structure is traditionally the first stone laid out before you begin to build. A cornerstone marks the direction of all the rest of the stones, and it could be the the cornerstone that's used in the top of an archway that stabilizes all the other stones in order to hold them all together. The cornerstone is unique and it doesn't look like the other stones, but it has the ability to unite them. This forms a firm structure or foundation that you can build from. Even as some pieces may stray away or fall, this focal point remains. Jesus is that focal point that draws us closer to God like a magnet. He calls other living stones like us to snap into place with him. As I said before, the church and our spiritual growth are an ongoing process. There's still more building to be done, of course, and we live in a world that can challenge us or try to break us down. So Peter says in chapter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You've probably heard a lot of people say that we as Christians are not of this world or that this world is not our home because we belong to God. So what sets us apart from the rest of the world? We can look back to what Peter writes in verse 9 that we are blessed, chosen, royal and holy. We have been called out of the darkness and into God's marvelous light. These are the traits of the church that we can proclaim. We should be flaunting these traits and publicly declaring our identity in Christ with these wonderful descriptors. It is because of these traits that we are like foreigners or exiles living in a non-Christian world. If you remember in our previous study on the book of Jude, we, call, we are called to contend for the faith. 
which includes a struggle or a wrestle with our flesh. The enemy would love nothing more than to separate us further from God. And Christians often will be mocked and persecuted, as was happening to the believers in the context from which Peter is writing. In verse 11, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He urges believers to abstain from these temptations, these passions of the flesh, because they wage this war on our salvation. What does that mean, though? It means that we will be tempted to fit in and feel accepted by the world around us. Many Christians from history to present day have the tendency to live out their faith privately or secretly as to avoid confrontation from the world. There can be a tendency to dollar shine so that we can avoid accusations of being boastful or seeking attention for our good deeds. There's also the tendency to tone down our praise or worship so we don't look weird in front of anyone who might be watching. There can lastly be a tendency to compromise or twist our beliefs to seek validation from others. So Peter writes not only to encourage us, but to reinforce why we should continue to be different. It was a challenge in Peter's time, and it is still a challenge even today, to remain different and not to compromise ourselves. This can happen at our jobs, on social media, or even just amongst friends. Non-believers may bully us, pressure us, and even seek to slander our community because we are so different. But God says we are his treasured possession so long as we obey his word, his covenant, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So aside from avoiding fleshly desires, Peter also advises us to maintain an honorable conduct. We know that we are not perfect. And we know there are plenty of people who like to call us out for our imperfections. But on a more positive note, we can remain focused on leading by example and living good lives. That way, when others attempt to criticize us, they will have no choice but to acknowledge our good deeds and recognize God through the way that we carry ourselves, glorifying him. In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This verse reminds me a lot of what Peter's talking about with our honorable conduct. And this is where I say we must remain salty for Jesus. Not in a bad way, of course, because today being salty can sometimes be perceived as something negative. But this is a different kind of saltiness. Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, and that description is considered to mean the best or the noblest elements of society. So as Jesus says, if we lose our taste, how shall our saltiness be restored? We're no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So do not lose your saltiness. That is why I say, stay salty for Jesus. Jesus also warned to his disciples that the world would hate them just as they hated him. And that's what struggling with our faith can really feel like sometimes, right? The more we try to fit in, the world around us can sometimes just trample us and keep criticizing us. We'll feel hated, maybe even pressured to change until eventually we just drop our identity in Christ altogether. Then we don't even know who we are anymore. So this is why we need to stay 
with each other, stay strong as a church community, stay rooted, and continue building that spiritual house. Encourage one another, lovingly hold each other accountable to avoid sinful behaviors. That is the noble and honorable conduct that Peter is advising us to maintain. Remember that there is strength and power in the name of Jesus. Our unity as Christians glorifies God like nothing else. In the book of John, Jesus prayed for all believers in all times to become unified. Since unity is so important to Jesus, it should be just as important to us. During the current circumstances, churches across the country may look empty inside their physical buildings. People who are looking for hope, maybe even wondering, where are God's people? Like that hand exercise. They just see an empty building. But the body of Christ can come together across racial, cultural, socioeconomical, and other boundaries. And when we do that, we're able to confidently spread the love and hope of Jesus Christ to a dying world. So let us show the world that the church, the body of Christ, is still united and still building from its cornerstone.